Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, December 16th. On today's show, we continue our next-gen ATP 2.0 series, breaking down those young, talented players, 21 years or younger, that are currently ascending up the ATP rankings. And of course, I wrote and talked about this last week on the podcast and for our website, CrackRackets.com. The previous next-gen guys, the Medvedev, Zverev, Tsitsipas, Rublevs of the world, pretty safe to say it's now their time to shine. You know, it's no longer the next generation. They're the now-gen, and it would not shock any of us tennis fans to see one of those guys take home a Grand Slam title in 2021, but of course there is a new generation of young players, people like Alejandro Davidovich Fokina and Lorenzo Musetti, who we've already talked about in this series, who have made a mark on the ATP Tour, who are clearly going to be players to take notice of as tennis fans, and who are going to be players who dictate a lot of significant results on the ATP Tour over the next 10 years, or at least that's what we think of these guys here at Cracker. And so, of course, as part of our off-season guide to help prepare all of you listeners for the 2021 season, we want to talk about this next-gen ATP 2.0 crew. And so David Gertler, our new Crack Rackets writer, has been joining me here on the Mini Break Podcast every Wednesday. As I mentioned, the past two weeks we've talked about Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, Lorenzo Musetti, two guys probably very well known to all tennis fans because for Musetti, the young Italian, 18 years old, former junior number one, what he did in Rome, Davidovich Fokina, a guy we've seen have ATP success now really for the past two seasons. Uh, They are more well-known. Today's topic, today's guy, a little bit lesser known, a guy who if you follow challenger tennis closely, certainly you may have heard of, and if you were watching the year-end results, this guy certainly took a jump here to end 2020. Uh, But the player we talk about today, Yuri Rodionov, and if you don't know Yuri Rodionov, Yuri Rodionov, however you prefer to pronounce it. You are certainly going to learn a lot about him today for Rodionov, the 21-year-old. He had, again, a very successful season here uh, in 2020. You look at what he was able to accomplish. He is up right around his career high now inside the top 150 uh, in the ATP singles rankings. Of course, this season, he won multiple challenger titles on the hard courts in February and put together a strong stretch down the home. Uh, down the home end of 2020 as well. And so, of course, David and I talk a little bit about his results. Of course, we break down his game, talk about his strengths, his weaknesses, offer a few pro comparisons, and so much more. I know this is an episode all of you listeners are going to very much enjoy. Of course, quickly before we get to that episode, just want to remind all of you listeners that the reason these things are made possible here day in, day out, that we can provide this off-season coverage for all of you listeners is, of course, because of the incredible support we get from you for each of 
these episodes, the support we get day in, day out from our Patreon family, and then, of course, because of the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar, you already know you can find all of the best equipment, all of the best brands, all of the best prices with our friends at Midwest Sports to update your gear, ensure you have what you need to succeed on the court. You go to MidwestSports.com, use that promo code CR15, you'll get 15% off your order, free two-day shipping on all orders, exceeding $75, best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls, so again, be sure to go to MidwestSports.com, use that promo code CR15, that'll have you looking good, how you feel good on court, you're going to turn to our friends at Aerobar, who offer the only tennis-specific energy bar in the business, more potassium than a banana, delicious cinnamon, honey, oat, and chocolate chip flavor, they've solved the science of tennis through nougat, folks, if it's good enough for the pros, it's good enough for you, you'll get that extra 2, 3, 4% on court, and seriously, that does make all the difference, so go to aerobar.com, support our friends over there, use that promo code CRACKED30 to get 30% off your order, and then you can do the Crack Rackets lifestyle here, we want to look good, we want to feel good, so that we can play good, Midwest Sports, Aerobar, going to make that possible, but with that in mind, let's get to our conversation, David Gertler and I break down our next next-gen ATP 2.0 player, Yuri Rodiana. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Joining us on the podcast once again for our next edition of of our Next Gen 2.0 series, breaking down those young players currently making their ascension up the ATP rankings. You know him as our newest contributor on our website, CrackedRackets.com. You may also know him as All About Tennis Blog on Twitter. I, of course, know him as David Gertler. David, welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? Good. How are you doing? Oh, it's another day in paradise, right? I feel like at this point, we all have our routines. We're pretty stuck in them, and you know we hold on to those routines for sanity, right? Waiting for that vaccine. <laughs> that's where that's where all of us are at at this point. Yeah, that was a way more serious answer than I intended. In reality, what my routine looks like is I get up, I go to the bathroom, and I watch tennis all day, and then I talk about that tennis. So what do I have to complain about today? Uh, you know, I, I would say nothing. Hopefully you feel the same. Hopefully for our listeners, again, we can offer them a little bit of a respite today from all of their day-to-day problems. We can have them dive into the tennis world along with us for our next edition of the Next Gen 2.0 series. Before we get to our name, before we get into our discussion about the guy we are going to talk about, Westoff, give me that Next Gen 2.0 sound effect, please. All right, David, thus far we have had two really fun conversations about two young guys who are probably far more prevalent to the mainstream tennis conversation. Those two players, Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, who we have already seen, have a pretty you know high degree of pro-level success for a guy who's 21 years old, of course. We've also talked about Lorenzo Musetti, who was a junior slam champion, a former world junior number one. If you follow tennis closely, certainly you would have heard of him at this point. Point. But 
Today's conversation, we talk about someone a little bit different, someone a little bit more off the beaten path, someone who, in my opinion, has had a ton of success, a breakthrough year during the 2020 season. I know you feel the same, and that's Yuri Rodionov. And to those of you out there, is it Rodionov? Is it Rodionov? He didn't have the pronunciation on his ATP site. I defer to the podfather, Mike Cation, who uh, inferred that it was Rodionov, so that's what we're going to go with on this podcast. You look at Yuri Rodionov, David, of course, uh, the Austrian is 21 years old, born 1999, currently sitting, I believe, at a career high of number 143 in the ATP singles rankings. Maybe it's 144 adjusted for, yeah, two off his career high now. So he's up to what, career high number 141, uh, which obviously uh, that is right around where you want to be when you're 21 years old, right, David? And for our listeners who don't know about Yuri, tell them a little bit about yeah, so he definitely plays a less conventional game. Uh, he has he focuses on consistency, depth, and variety as opposed to just trying to control the baseline with a big forehand. He's very tactical. He creates angles well, and he has an effective lefty serve where he likes to go out wide a lot and on the ad side, which really sets him up well. Um, but yeah, the variety is really what makes him different than a lot of the other guys that we've talked about. Mm-hmm. No, it is not a conventional game style, and where we start, as we always start, is by breaking down his pedigree. I want to start with a conversation about his junior career, and look, uh, Rodionov, was he number one in the world? No, but he was a top 10 junior player, reached a career high of number seven in the ITF junior rankings, had a lot of success across the board in his final season. You look at some of his results, went 18-3 and three on the clay, 9-3 and three on the hard courts overall. I mean, he played the Junior Masters event, made the final uh, before losing in that final. You look at what he did, uh, quarterfinals of Junior Wimbledon that year, third round of the Junior French, but he ended up winning, or I believe making, uh, yeah, no, 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 it was winning the ITF Junior Cup the week, I want to say maybe the week before that, also won the International Spring Bowl, beat a guy by the name of Andre Styler, who we know David plays for our Michigan Wolverines, was Mm -hmm. also one of the top juniors in the world. And so, you know, what else is notable? We talk about his unconventional style. This is probably a fun place to start. Uh, He made the finals of the Junior Wimbledon in doubles in 2017. Mm -hmm. Now he lost that final, but that's where you probably have to start. He has an attacking game style that you're absolutely right. It, it's unconventional. And when you say that, David, what do you mean? I mean that he it's not straight up power. It's using those angles. It's hitting those drop shots and changing the pace of play that really makes opponents so uncomfortable. I remember I was watching him in Dallas uh, before the hiatus play Michael Moe. Um, mm-hmm. And I was you know, Mo was in pretty good form, I believe, coming into that match, and it was just shocking to see him completely befuddled how to deal with Rodionov's game and the consistency, the the angles, the depth, the placement. It was just incredible to watch. Let me just say, not to sound patronizing, but I know you've hit your podcast stride when you're dropping befuddleds on the podcast. <laughs> That's always a good start, David. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I watched uh, multiple highlights through that Dallas run in the lead up to this podcast, just in part of my preparation. And I mean, 
the, the match I tweeted out about the Dominic Kopfer first set, and we know Dominic Kopfer, what is he now, a top 50 player right around it, and mm-hmm. you look at that level in the match, Rodinov ends up winning it, and he wins the Dallas Challenger this year. He was phenomenal, and I mean, that match, Kopfer had set points, I think it was 5-6-30-40, uh, Yuri Rodinov, no fear, or Rodionov, excuse me, no fear in that moment. He approaches the net, just dares Dominic Kopfer. He says, hey, if you can hit the passing shot, congratulations, but you're going to have to beat me on my terms. And Kofor mm-hmm. wasn't able to do it. And Kofor ran out to a 4-1 first set lead in that tiebreaker. Uh, Rodinov ends up getting it back. He blows a set point, but gets the mini break right back, ends up serving it out. And yeah, it it is unconventional. And look, Rodinov, we should have mentioned this at the top. He's a lefty. Uh, of course, and you look at the game style he employs. It's a heavy forehand, right? Heavy topspin on that Very forehand. Heavy. Almost almost a hitch uh, in his backswing, the way he tries to loop uh, and get under that ball to really, again, hit that heavy side. But, you know, when he connects with it, the, the drive, the pace, the spin he can produce, and then that backhand, when he wants to turn into that backhand and rip it flat and down the line, he has plus power on that side. I mean, it is a really impressive skill skill set yeah the backhand i wouldn't say it's as strong as the forehand but he does he you you mentioned he flattens the flattens it out and he definitely does that and he has good depth on it Mm -hmm. absolutely and we'll talk more about his skill set later on the things he does best the things he wants to improve most this is just to set the scene i think it's also worth noting for rodianov and we talk about this all the time in the modern game these players in the top 10 the tsitsipas the medvedevs the Berrettinis, the zverevs they're all six four and taller and rodianov is not six four but he is six three and it's all of six three he's got that jan leonard stroof that jack sock body right where he you don't want to say he's thick, but he's filled out. And the thing that's so encouraging why I compare it to a sock, a stroof, uh, not quite Berrettini because it's not that degree of muscle. Berrettini, I mean, I don't think there's an ounce of fat on his body. Uh, but Rodionov, he moves really well for a guy who's stocky. I mean, he's listed at 6'3", 184. I would argue he's probably a little bit closer to 200 pounds than that. Um, but it doesn't affect him whatsoever. He's fluid out of both corners. Mm-hmm. He's pretty yep. solid on the run. A lot better on the run than you would expect, and I think that's part of his charm. Uh, his charm, that's part Especially of his strength. Especially on the forehand like, side. It, exactly, right? He'll surprise you with some on-the-run magic. Yeah, he uh, he moves really well. He'll sit there. He can grind with you at, on the baseline for as long as he needs to do. And that's especially uh, impressive given that, he, like you said, he is, you know, built. And he's... And he is a great mover, and on the forehand side especially, he can do that forehand on the run, which is just leaves me in awe at times. Yeah, you, you definitely don't expect him to be able to get the pace, the spin, the placement on the run that he does. And I actually think he's a really good mover on clay. I think he is just a good mover in general, does a good job of setting up, uh, playing plus one forehands. Very slice-based serve, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if you've yep. seen that as well. Um, but yeah, just again, uh, it's also the angles. It's the fact that he will throw in a slice, a drop shot here and there at will, and he's comfortable doing it. It's not forced, right? Like Stefano Tsitsipas, when he hits a slice, sometimes you think to yourself, oh, I think he's just hitting a slice here because he's been told, hey, you got to mix things up. You got to hit a slice. For Tsitsipas, he wants to drive through that ball. Rodionov 
wants to go off speed. He wants to throw funk at you, get you in an yep. uncomfortable, you know, what is it called? The, the I forget the, the spot in between uh, no the service land? line and thank you, no man's land. That's the, that's how long it's been since I, you know, I avoid no man's land so frequently. He wants to get you stuck in no man's land so that he can hit the big drive or hit that funky spin into your body. Uh, and then there's the volleying component, right? So comfortable moving forward. He'll hit Very serve and volley. Yeah, it's just it's a really interesting skill set. Again, this is kind of the broad strokes. Am I missing anything about his game here? Is there anything else you would add or yeah, maybe you something you might uh, disagree with? Yeah, you mentioned Clay. I actually rate his game higher on hard courts. I think mm-hmm. that he's better on hard courts where where the where he doesn't have to generate as much of the pace himself and he's able to use the court a little more. That's why I think Dallas was his best uh, tournament even though he yeah. won a couple other challengers. Yeah, uh, and again, these are things I want to get into, and we can start talking about his pro results now. But uh, just curious, was it a pro result? Was it a junior result? When was the moment you became aware of Rodionov, David, and really started following his game? So Rodionov has a very interesting journey, um, which I'm sure we're going to talk about more. Uh, in 2018, he uh, won the Almaty Challenger. Mm-hmm. where he beat so the moment when i became aware is when he beat hampman in the semifinals who's a very accomplished uh, clay court player it's funny how tennis works he uh, almost lost to menezes in uh, qualifying and if he <laughs> yeah. loses that then who knows where his you know his career goes it, he in 2019 he really fell off the map and so we might not have even heard of him until 2020 if he lost to menezes there uh in qualifying no, I, I think that's absolutely accurate. And look, uh, again, he was a junior slam finalist in doubles. Does that blow you off the map? No, it doesn't. But he was a top 10 player in the world. He was someone who would uh, use this always as the litmus test. You'd see the name pop up on the Zoo Tennis blog. You'd be like, oh, okay, you're re enough. Let me take note of this name. And of course, I think notably in his career uh, being Austrian, I believe he's worked with the team family. I believe he has worked with Dominic Team's dad in the past. Uh, and obviously, uh, look, uh, outside of Dominic, you know, the or I should say the spotlight Dominic team has put on the sport of tennis in the country of Austria, undoubtedly. That meant there were expectations for Rodinov, who right. I believe has played Davis Cup already at the age of 24, his Austrian team. And yeah, I would say that, you know, that along with, you know, when you win in 2018, he was 19 years old, I believe, or maybe even 18 years old when he won that challenger. I think it was in June, so I think he would have already have turned 19. And yeah, that was definitely the first big pro result because for Rodionov, it wasn't like he was winning a bunch of futures prior to making no. that final in Kazakhstan. It's not like he had even made a final of a future before then, right? You look at his results, he had not made a final before that moment. In fact, his best moment, I believe, prior to that final uh, in at that challenger was I think he had made maybe one semifinal at a challenger at the end of October the year before. Really uh, hadn't done even anything that crazy on the futures level prior to that. I, I think maybe one futures quarterfinal. So to have that sort of big jump, I think that sort of demonstrates his upside, right? Because when that yep. serve is landing, when he's playing plus one tennis, it's just that it's that top flight gear. Like half the game is can you make your serve and can you defend it? And the answer for Rodionov is the best version of him has a dominant serve and plus one game. Yep, absolutely. And yeah, he had a very unconventional path for a very unconventional playing style. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. No, uh, you're absolutely right. And I again, was shocked look when at... I saw No Futures Finals too. It was I was surprised. Yeah, and it's not even No Futures Finals, right? Like I see one semifinal he made in March of 2017 on the clay at a Futures event, but beyond that, seriously, there was not another even semifinal at the Futures level prior to him winning that challenger in 2018. And yeah, when you have a result like that, uh, obviously you take a big jump in the rankings. And for him, I believe he then gets a wild card into qualifying in Kitzbühel. He beats Ernest Golbis. He beats Lorenzo Sinego before losing in three set to fellow countryman Dennis Novak in the first round. But obviously at that point, you get a little bit of confidence in the way he ends the year, qualifies and makes the round of 16 in Bratislava. Then at the start of 20. 18, you know, a month and a half, or end of, start of 2019 in Numia, he makes the quarterfinals there, and, you know, then he was sort of off and running. He had enough points to survive and play challengers throughout the 2019 season, but you mentioned it, David. I mean, you look at the splits for him. He goes 19 and 10 in challenger matches in 2018, 18 and 21 in challenger matches in 2019. Sometimes that happens, though, right? Especially for a guy yeah. with as funky of a game style as Rodionov. It didn't shock me to see that adjustment period have to happen. Did it shock you? No, especially because he doesn't he doesn't really have the power to to hit through people when he's struggling exactly. and to have that big serve to bail him out. Uh, and he got as low as three sixty two earlier this year, right before Dallas. He was three sixty two in the world. That's you know bordering on can he even play challengers anymore so he really it was a make or break time earlier this year for him i believe he won maybe one doubles title in challengers in 2019 but that was really it yeah no, it, 2019 was certainly a struggle for him. And again, when you're going 500, you're barely breaking even. You're just surviving. You're fighting to stay on that challenger level. And we've seen so many players get to that point and then struggle, never make it past that mark. And I think what's so encouraging for Yuri Rodionov is, as you mentioned, looking at Dallas and moving forward, he absolutely took a jump this season. And, you know, he won back-to-back challengers in February. Or I don't know if it was back-to-back. I think it was— It was like I don't one think week he, in between. Yeah, but I don't think he played in between Dallas and it, right? So it was no, back-to-back so. for him. Yeah, on the schedule, uh, both hard-court events. But uh, obviously, he's able to ride that momentum and go 19-11 in challenger matches this season. And a lot of these stats I'm reading come from Tennis Abstract, so shout-out to them as always. But here's the most encouraging thing for me, David, because you talk about— his, in 2019, inability, because maybe in 2019, especially early on, we talk about, again, he's a guy who wants to be aggressive, wants to move forward, wants to play on his terms, uh, but it was very one-dimensional. There was only plan A. There really wasn't a plan B or a plan C. You know, he couldn't grind behind the baseline, sustain rallies, and then find an attackable ball to attack, right? It would be a slap right. error when it wasn't called for, just difficulties with shot selection. Uh, that was not the case this season, and what's so impressive for me, you look at his win percentage on first and again, these are in the challenger matches he's played. In 2017, his first challenger matches, he won 65% of his first serve points. That number jumped to 69.3 uh, in 2018, sustained at 69.7 in 2019. And then in 2020, David, this season, he won 74% of that's his a first le- that's serve a big points. Leaf. 
that's elite. That means you're ready to take the jump to the next level, and I think you could see it repeatedly. And, you know, I, I watched uh, his match against Dominic Team, and it was an exhibition match during the quarantine. But then even after that, you watch uh, what he's able to do against a guy like Thomas Echeverry a few weeks ago in a or months ago. Who freaking knows when it was? And on the Yossi. Pro Tour, too. Yeah. I, I mean, on the just... ATP Tour against, you know, in the French Open and in Vienna. Exactly, and I think that gets us to his most impressive skills now. That serve is bordering on elite. I mean, again, I think it's very slice-dependent, and that's something we can talk about in a second, but... The slice down the tee on the ad side, or on the deuce side, the slice into the body on the ad side, his ability to find the plus one forehand, that's where it starts with his game. And that's probably, to me, the most impressive skill he's developed this past season and a half. Would you agree or disagree? Yeah, and I love that. I mentioned it earlier. I love the slice on the on the ad side, especially for that lefty. You know, we've yep. seen it with Nadal so often. But it really sets him. Then he has the whole court to really manipulate mm-hmm. and play those cat and mouse points that he is best at so i really like that and yeah that's a really impressive leap into 2020 having such a high first serve percentage or points one that uh is actually a little higher than even i was expecting yeah i, I he i mean it looked elite and it's funny because one of my criticisms when we'll talk about things to improve on is the second serve. I think a second serve because it's so slice dependent and just because sometimes he gets a little bit risk uh, nervous with it, it hangs. And when it hangs, his opponents can absolutely go after it. Dominic Kopfer did it. Dominic Team did it. it plays a lot of Dominics. Uh, but, you know, it multiple, even uh, in his match against Dennis Kudla, a match he won, Dennis Kudla, when it was a second serve point, was able to attack a little bit more. And it's just, you know, you look at his percentages here, he was at 53% in 2017, 51% in 2018 and 19. He was at 45% this season. So that was concerning, but his first serve percentage continues to rise. His ace percentage continues to rise. It's just that first serve is becoming a weapon. And look, when you're any sort of player, if you're getting jammed on the ad side with a lefty slice into your body, you don't have a lot of options. You're at that point, you're just trying to play survival tennis. And the thing that's most impressive, again, with Rodiov, it's not just the plus one forehand. The guy's a servant volleyer. He does it on clay. He does it on his hard His volley courts. is sweet. And it's just his attention to detail, his his recognition of, oh, man, I have a lot of space to play with. Let me take time away from you. Let me mm-hmm. knock off that volley. And he's confident doing it. That's his most impressive skill to me. It's just the confidence, the pattern recognition, his willingness to move forward. What are the things his that touch. impress you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. If you want to add to that, what are the other things that might impress you the most? Yeah, his his mental toughness. That match with mm-hmm. Shardy at the uh, at the French Open was so mm-hmm. impressive. How he had every opportunity to just say, you know, it was a great performance, but I'm gonna, you know, go out. But he fought till the bitter end, and that was amazing to see. And then to beat a player like Shapovalov at. Uh, Vienna, I know Shapovalov was not at his best at all, but to be able to have that mental toughness to go in there against a top player who had been playing great this season and beat him in front of your home crowd where there's so much pressure of playing at home, that was awesome to see as well. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I thought it was just a really, really good performance for him uh, down the home stretch. And you look at what he did this season again uh, over, during 2020. He goes 25 and 16. But if you want to make that even more narrow, what he well, I guess you don't really want to make that more narrow if you're uh, Rodi, uh, Rodionov because most of his success, again, the back-to-back challengers he had uh, where he won. Oh, no. he By the way, he did play in Cleveland. Shout out to him. Uh, he goes from Dallas to Cleveland, beats James Hopper first round, loses a three-set battle to J.J. Wolf before then carrying on to no shame in that. winning the title. Yeah, absolutely no shame in that as at all. But, you know, I— you look at his career splits thus far across surfaces for Rodionov, and he has yet to play a professional match on grass. I think if there was a Wimbledon this year, that would have changed. I think, obviously, uh, well, not obviously. He had the but junior think, success, though, and double. Ex- and I think we both agree grass, given his game style, is a surface we feel confident about him succeeding on. But you look at the pro splits right now, 56 and 38 on clay courts. It's a 60% win percentage, 81 on 46 uh, and 46 on hard courts. The other thing that impressed me the most is how much his skill set does translate across surfaces. When you play at that speed, David, right, where it's just attack, 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 mm-hmm. doesn't matter about the surface. And I really do think he has plus power. I think he can hit through any court at this point, regardless of the speed. That's a credit to the work he's put in this past year and a half. I think it translates. I think he moves really well on the clay. He's one of those guys who slides into his shots, right? Not slides out of them. Yeah. And I think his footwork is precise. I think his recognition, again, and willingness to move forward, take time away on the clay and serve and volley. I mean, he served and volleyed with success uh, yeah, that, and- against Chardy, and it's, it's really impressive. Yeah, and even in his challenger in his challenger title so dallas is indoor hard morales is i his second his third challenger win against uh Fikovic. that's high altitude hard outdoor hard right i think morales is high altitude so winning that is almost like playing on a different surface than indoor hard when you're at altitude outdoor hard um so in yeah he really he knows when to come in it's he knows how to play on he knows how to slide and his footwork on clay is great. And so and it really shows in terms of the different surfaces that he's won challengers. And so I totally agree with you. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting because uh, I'm now looking at the numbers in his career on clay at the challenger level. He's 14 and 15 overall, uh, which would suggest that maybe clay is not the surface for him. But my eyes just... Like, I I can only talk about what I see in front of me. And look, I I just thought the way, and he played Thomas Echeverry, the young Argentinian in IASI in September, and that was the match that stuck with me because that's the one I watched. Echeverry just didn't have the weapons to hurt him. And if you don't have the weapons to hurt him and he had that extra bit of time because it is a clay court and you have half a second more if you know how to move to set your feet and really get a big rip on the ball— it just looked effective. And now, you know, in his quarterfinal match the next day against uh, Matthias Borg, he uh, struggled on his second serve. And I do think that second serve really sits up. And again, we'll talk about that second serve when we get yes, to things to improve on. Yes, that hurt him big time against Benadio yeah. in another clay court match. Uh, he played right after the hiatus. He struggled a bit on clay right after the hiatus. Uh, I don't know if, you know, coming back from, you know, a pandemic is going to be tough on all players and everyone handles it differently. So I don't really take too much stock into those results, but he definitely had second serve struggled again when I watched him against the Nadio. 
Yeah, I mean, you look at his second serve numbers uh, here down the home stretch in 2020, just overall, and uh, they weren't they weren't fantastic. I mean, I think the majority of his performances he was under 50 percent. Uh, he hit in the 20 percent range in a couple of matches. Actually, won a match against Diego Hidalgo despite winning only 21.1 percent of his second serve points. Shout out to you, Yuri Rodionov. That is a heck of a performance. Beat Andreas Seppi, winning only 34.5 percent of his second and serve points, but yeah, I, I think that's a serious concern, and yeah, we can talk about the things to improve on now if you're Yuri Rodionov, because I mean, that second serve hangs. It absolutely does, and when it hangs, his opponents get clean looks at returns, and when they get clean looks at returns, uh, I think that's when his big backswing on the forehand is exposed, and he'll shank that ball, or he'll just leave it short, mm-hmm. and then he's playing defense, which obviously he doesn't want to do. The backhand's very flat, um, and again, it can get overwhelmed a little bit. I think he snatches at the ball sometimes on the backhand side. Yeah, yep, that's a very good way of putting it. Completely agree with you. And again, how would you? What are the things you would center on if you're Yuri Rodionov? I think if you're looking at how do how do you get his game to translate more to the ATP tour? That might you know things that work on the Challenger tour that might not work on the ATP tour. I think he needs to. I know we're we're. Uh, you know, talking how great his variety is. Sometimes I feel like he try, he almost knows that his variety is so great, and and so he doesn't focus enough on power at times. Where I felt I feel like sometimes he goes for kind of the more uh, how do I like the variety shot as opposed to just putting the ball away with a more powerful yeah, shot, the flashy um, dropper then, instead of the the solid down the line approach. Yeah. And then also, yeah, I, I think when he tries to put pace on the backhand, sometimes because of how flat it is, mm-hmm. I think that he will miss it more than I would like him to. <laughs> yeah, I, that's a fair description, I would say, of it as well. It definitely gets a little bit flat. I do like his ability to drive it cross court, but I do think he's also a little bit more comfortable driving that backhand down the line. Um, for me— Agreed. Yeah, I think, again, the second serve hangs, but also his first serve return, it also hangs because it's it's almost Francis Tiafo-like, right? If you can get heavy pace into that forehand wing, he just really can't take a big swing at it. He's going to have to play the forehand bump return or block return back, which is a neutralizing ball and fine. But, you know, in every match he played that they have registered in uh, this 2020 season, he was under 50% on win percentage in the first serves. And, of course, when you're playing the best of the best, you don't expect to win more than 50% of your first serve points. But to not do it even once during the 2020 season that's concerning and you know more he's only over 40 percent even twice during the year and that's just that's not good enough that's not going to cut it on the ATP tour yeah especially you know you look at these percentages he was very good on the second serve return and that talks about again if he has time to set up get into his patterns uh he can be very good on that return but of course the the higher he ascends up the rankings the more difficult the second server uh second serves he's going to face it's not going to be e- that easy you're not going to have i love you james hopper but james hopper floating up a second server thomas Echeverry, same deal it's right in your strike zone um and so yeah i, I think and that's he hasn't absolute- played a ton of matches on the main tour either so he, mm-hmm. he you know i think he'll get better with more experience yeah i think he's not including qualifying like two and eight thus far 
in tour level matches uh, playing at a 250 or above but again he got his first win at a Grand Slam this year he did look comfortable against Chardy on the clay uh, and that's where we can you know talk about you know maybe uh, here let, let's switch gears and because I want to talk about your projections for him in 2021 but let's talk about who Yuri Rodinov reminds us of let's do a little pro comparisons always fun to compare these guys to fellow players on tour because of course when you're watching someone you're like hey I've seen that before uh, and I remember yeah. it having success who was the guy who's having success I have a couple of things for you but I want to let you go first what are the pro comps you have for Yuri Rodionov okay so I I'm interested to hear what you think about this one Manorino I think I when I watch him play they both kind of rely on the angles and the variety Manorino hits one of the flattest balls on tour so Rodinov definitely hits a heavier ball but just in terms of their style in terms of that variety, making opponents uncomfortable, catching them in no man's land, consistency, death. I think that they line up pretty similarly. What do you think? See, respectfully, and I, I look, here are the lefties that come. To, I mean, I'll list the lefties in a second. I, I just think Manorino plays a little bit flatter. I don't think it's as aggressive. I don't think it's as overwhelming the pace, the moving forward. I think they both can have the flair for the slice every now and then. And I, I think Manorino's a little bit more fluid on the run. It's not horrible. I mean, that, that was mean. It's not bad. It's 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 not bad. I have a couple of for you here. Uh, curious what you think. And again, now you start to think of the lefties. And I watched him play Dom Kopfer. I think they do a lot of similar oh, things on yeah. the forehand and backhand wings. I just think, uh, you know, and it's that's a very current day comparison, but I think Roninov probably a little bit more pace, a little bit more willing to move forward. I think Kopfer a little bit more solid off of both wings, obviously uh, a little bit more fluid at the baseline as well. So that would be number one. You know, it's not Cam Norrie. Uh, Cam Norrie moves the ball around the court, I suppose, and plays angles the way that Rodionov does, but the backhand is even flatter and not as much pace. The forehand, one could argue, probably even heavier, even more whip, and I just think Rodionov does a little bit more with his serve. Cam I think Norrie he... doesn't have the variety, yeah, ahead, I think, that Rodionov has. I don't think he has the pace. I think that's the thing. He just doesn't have that top gear. I think I would argue Nori plays maybe with even... Well, I, I just like the, the shot patterns. I like the, the, the crafting of points for Cam Nori better. I love the way he goes. I just love his discipline. Angle, angle, inside out, inside out, inside in. Uh, but Rodionov, definitely more explosive. You know, the Yuri Vesely from the baseline... It, it's. I, I think there are shades of Yuri Vesely. Like I think the way they both pop the ball. I think the serve yeah. is very similar. I think Rodinov does it a little bit better. And then I also see elements of Feliciano Lopez. Feliciano Lopez, oh, really? in my opinion, yeah, with a little bit less pop and a little bit better backhand. Because obviously Feliciano, the one-hander, uh, Rodinov, the two-hander. I just named every lefty there, by the way, for my comparison. But the one I settle on is probably Feliciano Lopez, like a modern-day Feliciano Lopez, a guy who's a little bit more comfortable playing at the baseline, two-handed yep. instead of the one-handed backhand, but wants to move forward, wants to play on his terms. I also think uh, Rodinov. Well, young Feliciano could move much better than current Feliciano, but obviously Rodinov moves a little bit better than Feliciano right now. That's the one I settled on, is is modern-day Feliciano Lopez. Yeah, I mean, if if Rodinov has a career like Lopez has had, uh, that would be very good in my eyes for him. Um, (laughs) Is that too high a projection in your opinion? Is that maybe striving for too much? Do you want me to say where I think like his ceiling is? Do you want to, do yeah, you want to go there? 
please. Okay, I you know, I, I see Rodinov as top 50 potential. I don't know if I see him in, in the top 20, to be honest. Mm-hmm. What do you think the things that hold him back? I just don't see the... the... <sighs> I just think a lot of the things that have made him so successful and so fun to watch on the Challenger Tour in terms of his desire to play cat and mouse points, I just don't see it translating as well as, say, like a Rusevori, um his game can translate to the uh, main tour. Just because I just don't see the... And he maybe, I hope he proves me wrong, I just don't see that the power necessary... Yeah, the consistent power from the baseline necessary to be because consistency isn't going to get it done. Only consistency to get it done on the ATP tour and depth. Those type of stuff is great, but you need more, and I just don't see it. I don't know. I mean, top fifty is still great. Yeah, no, I think any young player right now, if you told the thirteen-year-old training at the local sports club, "Hey, you want to be top fifty in the world someday," and I can guarantee that for you right now, they'd be like, "Yes." That is exactly what I would like to have happen. But I'm looking at Feliciano Lopez right now. I believe he reached a career high of number 12 in the ATP rankings. Let me double check that. Yep, he did. Uh, From 2002 to 2000, or honestly to now, he's been inside the top 80. And the majority of his seasons, he's ended his uh, year outside the top 30. Uh, he had a couple of seasons inside the top 20, ended 2011 at 20, 2014 and 15 at 14 and 17, respectfully. Look, I, it's so funny because I, I just, I think power is not the issue for Rody enough. I think it's there. I mean, if you see him connect with a backhand down the line, which he has done more and more frequently, yeah, it's very, very flat, but it is plus power. I mean, that shot, when oh, yeah, it lands... Yeah can be elite i think he ramps it up at times i'm just saying that like i think that a lot of his shots that he would typically hit on the challenger tour in terms of i just maybe it's just because i'm thinking too much about recently like those clay court events where in the challengers where second serve sets off you know yeah no i I, that's fair i it's funny because i agree with your range i think 30 to 50 is where he makes his living. Like, I think he will be a guy who the best version of him, just because he can win a lot of matches, especially indoors on hard courts that, you know, January, February stretch, that October, November, December, Mm -hmm. even late September stretch, that's going to be where Yuri Rodionov thrives. And are we going to see him maybe play that occasional challenger during the months of June, July, and August? Maybe. Like, maybe we will throughout his career. But for me, it's... You know, he does. A, I really do enjoy it. I do think the forehand can be exposed with players who have who hit harder pace. I also think that's where his lack of elite movement. He's a very good mover. He's not an elite mover. Uh, that right. could be an issue. But let me just ask you this question, David: What do you think Feliciano Lopez's win percentages in ATP matches during his career? I have no idea. I would just give say... me a guess. Give me a guess. I, I'm going to be so wrong. 60%? I have no I have, I have no idea what the typical one is. <laughs> so he's at 52%. 
52 okay, percent yeah, is good enough to keep you in that top 30 to top 50 range if you're getting consistent yeah. wins if you're getting at least one win a week at the 250 at the 500 maybe two wins at a uh major before you lose a couple of matches in a row at a master's event whatever it may be you're making a living you're staying inside the top 75 top 50 i agree with you yuri rodionov does not have the upside of a musetti he doesn't have the fluidity required in the modern game of a Davidovich Fokina, but he's got a skill set that works. And if he maximizes that skill set, the second serve has to become better. It absolutely does. He has to get more consistent on the return. He has to continue to, I think, take a step closer to the baseline when he's playing defense. Because to your point, I think he can often get lulled into long baseline rallies, right? He's fine grinding a little bit. Go watch that Kofor match. They play plenty of 10, 15 shot rallies. And when he does that, he ends up finding himself six, seven, eight feet behind the baseline. And that's just never where Yuri Rodinov should want to be, right? So that is definitely a concern for me. And, you know, the higher you ascend up the rankings, the more uh, or the more likely the player you're playing is going to be able to put you on your back foot. But yeah, I I guess for me, I think he's a top 100 guy. I mean, 21 years old, I expect him to crack the top 100. I guess when you look towards 2021, do you see him making a jump to a top 100? Do you think that the the limitations he has are still going to hold him back a little bit longer, I guess? What are, what are your prospects for him heading into next season? Assuming, you know, of course, we have a next season. Given what I saw in Vienna and at the French Open, I would expect it. I think the expectation is he should be in the top 100 next year at some point. Mm-hmm. Just what a do little you think? flash. No, so the problem is, right, it's, I mean, I call it the Bjorn Fertangela zone. And I love you, Bjorn, um, who obviously has been on this podcast before. But he was, I mean, he is, he was, he has been stuck between 100 and 120 the past five years right like sometimes when he wins challengers if he if he makes that semifinal final sometimes he peeks his head into the 90s range uh when he has a rough streak sometimes he'll fall into that 130 to 150 range I mean Rodinov is in the vomit zone right you have to qualify for a grand slam if you're him you probably do go to Australia regardless of where it starts as opposed to playing a couple of challengers or 250 events in South America because you need those big points you need that big pay they take the big swing win a match at the Australian Open you don't have any slam points on your resume right now that would be a huge boost right but I do think he's got the game like I agree with you he's got the game to get into the top 100 right now because when it looks good it looks really good and I think he was hurt a little bit by that high by the pandemic you know causing the season because he was really fine in his gear right before you know right in March really Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. No, uh, absolutely. I mean, indoor hardcourt challengers always going to be something that I think he thrives in. Uh, and yeah, he was coming off two titles in three weeks. He uh, He's certainly someone trending upward when you look at him heading into 2021. I mean, again, uh, we've sort of covered it all. We've talked about his game style. We've talked about his pro results. It is worth noting he has yet, I believe, to have a top 10 win in his career. Uh, Of course, some of these young guys, such as Davidovich Fokina, I mean, Musetti beat Stan Wawrinka and Nishikori, which aren't top 10 guys. Shapovalov was close, though, right? What what was he ranked when he in Vienna? yeah, he was, what, 11, 12, something around there. I want, uh, so that was I'm going to say. That's probably the best win of his career thus far. You look at some of the ATP matches. I mean, all of the ATP matches he has played. Uh, again, 2-8. and eight, His losses uh, coming to Dan Evans, Christian Guerin, Taylor Fritz, Nicolas Giri, Norbert Gombos, Pablo Cuevas, uh, Dennis Novak twice. Uh, so... 
you know, a lot of those losses haven't been straight. You know, the only time he got blown out was against Christian Guerin. He lost that match 2-1 and one in Davis Cup on the clay, and I think that's probably not the best matchup for Rody enough because Guerin's going to move him around and really expose him on and that surface. And he's really surface. good on clay. Yeah, exactly, and that's exactly, if you're Christian Guerin, where you want to play. But, yeah, I, I would love to see more ATP reps as well because I do want to see how that game competes at the next level. I also want to see him have more consistent success on non-hardcourt surfaces at the challenger level. That, to me, are the two big things I need to see from him in 2021. What else would you add? Now, he, he, I want to also say that he has beaten some ATP-level players, even if it wasn't an ATP event. So, like, Thompson, Manorino, and Golbis, as you mentioned earlier. Um so he has, you know, Thompson and Manorino, especially Manorino, are really always, you know, lurking, you know, in those 250, you know, 500 type events. Um, so those were good wins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, a win over Sinego certainly has appreciated in value. A win over Andre Seppi is nothing to bat your eyes at. The win he had over Dennis Kudla, even in Dallas this year. We saw Kudla down the home stretch so good, right? Uh, at the challenger level, he's a guy we expect to get to the top 100. We talked about the Dom Kopfer win. He's a guy inside firmly yeah. uh, the top 75 Hanfman. right now. Yeah, Hanfman's another one. I mean, three sets with J.J. Wolf, a guy on the rise. Rodionov is right there. You're you're absolutely right. Consistency is going to be the big thing for him heading into 2021. And, you know, it's also worth noting if he doesn't get into the top one, he could have like a really good year. He could win a couple of 250 matches. He could qualify for all four Grand Slams. And just given the protections in the 2021 ranking system, he could still not make the top 100. Uh, but... I absolutely do expect him to continue to progress in 2021 because he was noticeably improved during this 2020 season. I totally agree with you, and I'm rooting for him. Uh, fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, then, I with that in mind, I think top 75. Ooh, you want to put a prediction on it? Should we a gentleman's wager? Oh man, okay. I, I'll say you know what? I think he can get up to number 85 in the world by. Uh, I love. How about we'll put a dozen Mr. Spots wings on it. I will say he does not end up top 100. Ah, you know, you know the thing is I want to believe in these guys always. It's just 45 spots is so many to jump. Yeah. So let and me ask I you this. I don't even really – who knows what's going on with the ranking system. Yeah. I yeah. I it's, so who do you expect to get into the – more likely to get into the top 100 in 2021, Rodi, uh, Rodionov or Musetti? Oh, man. I would say Musetti. See, I would say Rodionov. I think Rodionov's game is a little bit further developed week in, week out. I think Musetti's got the higher upside. Like, I, I completely would agree with you there. I think they both make it, to be honest. <laughs> That's I mean, I'm, I'm high on all these guys that we're talking about. I, yeah, I know. I, I'm huge fans of all of them, so I'm a little biased. Yeah, but you know the rule, right? Once they get to the ATP tour, you have to stop rooting for them because then everyone else starts rooting for them, and it's no longer cool. Yeah, well, like we saw yeah, that, that with uh, Musetti, uh, how everyone in Rome jumped on the bandwagon. 
No, like, it, it's unbelievable. The guy, I don't understand with the rise of Sebi Corda at the French Open. I was like, well, what about Brandon Nakashima? Like, everyone stopped talking about Brandon Nakashima after for five and a half months. It was Nakashima, Nakashima, Nakashima. And I was like, damn, is he all? Is he now too mainstream? Has he fallen out uh, of love with everyone? But no, I mean, I think Yuri Rodionov, I agree with you. The pathway to the top 100 is there in 2021. Hopefully, uh, there will be a season for him to play out because he is someone we should be very, very excited about. But with that in mind, David, any final thoughts on Rodionov? I don't think I've talked about this. I love his drop shot, too. It's feathery touch. Feathery touch. That's a great description. Yeah, and it's both wings, right? Forehand, backhand, and he'll throw it in there at will. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, it's just part of the skill set that makes Yuri Rodionov the third member of our Next Gen 2.0 series. But of course, we will be back next week with another episode. And if you want to read more on any of these players, go to our website, crackedrackets.com. David writing a fantastic breakdown. I then, of course, leeching myself onto that article as well, throwing a few thoughts in there as well. But David, it is always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Oh, actually, real quickly, for all of our listeners out there who want to follow what you're doing day in, day out, where can they find your work? Uh, on Twitter at tennis blogger one, I write for last word on tennis. I write for y'all, and I have my own blog, all about tennis blog. Yeah, absolutely. We'll check out all of David's work, and of course, we are so happy to have you as part of our Crack Rackets team. David, take care as always. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. all of you listeners enjoyed our latest edition of the next gen atp 2.0 series i will remind all of you if you want to read more about these players go check out our website crackrackets.com david and i writing a little bit more about each of these players sparring back and forth over a couple of key questions and of course again thus far we've talked about alejandro davidovich Fokina, lorenzo musetti now yuri rodianov uh if you have missed any of that content you can find it all on the website crackrackets.com a huge thank you again to david for taking the time to chat for writing of uh, the outlines for this series uh it's been really fun and again to look at these young next generation of players there are so many different guys we can pick from to talk about and of course that's what we will continue to do here every Wednesday through the offseason as we get closer to the start of the year and it's crazy to think we're like two weeks away from the calendar really picking up again uh, we will perhaps even increase the amount of guys we are talking about because seriously there are so many young talents on the tour right now uh, guys who should come to your attention if you are a hardcore tennis fan if you're someone who's listening to a podcast like this uh, you want to hear about these players because certainly we expect them to be making noise in 2021. Uh, But of course, there's so much else going on right now in this offseason. You know, what are the details for the 2021 season? Those are things we have talked about on this podcast, on the Great Shot podcast as well. So if you've missed any of those, be sure to check them out. Of course, on our Crack Interviews podcast, we've had so many great guests of late. We had John Michael Gamble, you know, James Blake, all the college coaches we've had recently. This week, you all are going to get to hear from USC head coach Brett Macy, but we've had 
David Roditi on so far, Paul Goldstein, Steve Denton, uh, so many incredible coaches. A huge thank you to all of them. And if you have missed any of those, again, check out that Cracked Interviews podcast. Like, rate, subscribe, review to this show, that show, the Great Shot podcast, Inside Out podcast, Vicky Duvall's new episode, uh, uh, new podcast series, The Sidelined. She had Bernard Tomich on for an interview that I promise all of you listeners are going to enjoy. So if you haven't, like, rate, subscribe, review that as well. And again, if you have missed any of our Cracked Rackets offseason content, you know, Judson Wall still covering the ITF events. We talked about that yesterday on this show, but, you know, he does his weekly review previews of all of that ITF action. And of course, Vance Fermani wrote about the ATP finals. He went back, rewatched all the episodes, had his biggest takeaways, his summaries from the event. So you can find all of that content on our website, crackrackets.com. You need those more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Shot Pod. Shout out as always to our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job they do day in, day out. Shout out, of course, as well to our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar. Go to MidwestSports.com, use that promo code CR15. Go to Aerobar.com, use that promo code CRACKED30. Perfect for your holiday gifts if you want a tennis-themed gift for your loved ones. Of course, you can also go to our website, CrackedRackets.com. Maybe you and your your friends, your family, your significant others, you're all tennis fans, you're all listening to the Cracked Rackets podcast around the fire. Maybe it'd be pretty cool if you're rocking some CR gear while you were doing that as well. So be sure to check out our Cracked Rackets website. You can get hats, shirts, hoodies, tank tops. Maybe you're someone who likes to rock the tank top in the snow. Credit to you. That's a bold play, my friend. Uh, and if you'd like to do that, you can find all of that gear again on the website, CrackedRackets.com. But with that in mind, for my wonderful co-host, David Gertler, our super producers Fligner and Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. 